on a minute. There we go. This morning, uh, the uh, passage that we're going to be spending some time with is very familiar to us. And sometimes, you know, when you read something that you've heard so many times, it's hard to hear something new. So I've invited Chris to join me in the reading and just simply by maybe having two voices might emphasize something a little differently, or you might hear something new in a very familiar Word of God. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this God's Word to us. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices instead in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to tell you that the sermon I'm about to give, and I see the time, we'll make it, is not the sermon I thought I was going to be preaching today. It just did not end up where I thought it would. On Tuesday mornings, I have to give Brian and Gene and everyone sort of a synopsis of the sermon and a title and where it's going. So sometimes as I begin working on the text, it just won't go that way. It goes somewhere else. So what I want to do today is show you where this went by beginning at the end. Uh, I remember years back, I can't remember the name, but there was a movie that was made that way, that it began at the end of the movie and worked back to the beginning. So this is going to be a backwards sermon. You ready? Here we go. Back in the book of Second Kings, we read a story about a man who was a prophet who was a part of the school of prophets that was around Elisha. And this man got sick and died, leaving a wife or a widow and some small children. Well, the man also died, leaving some unpaid bills. 
And the creditors came knocking on the door and demanded payment from the widow for these unpaid bills. And she told him, I, I told the creditors, I don't have any money. And so they invoked their legal right, legal but heartless, that they could take her children as slaves as payment for the debts. Well, the widow was distraught, and she ran to Elisha, and she said, my husband has died, we've got these bills to pay, they're threatening to take my kids away as slaves, what do I do? And he said, well, what kind of resources do you have? And she said, the only thing I own is a jar of olive oil. Now you remember this story, don't you? And he said, well, I'll tell you what you do. You send your kids all through that village, borrowing every empty jar they can find. And that's what she did. She sent them out, and they just went and knocked on all the neighbors' doors and said, do you have any empty jars? And the neighbors gave them all the jars that they had, and they put them in the house, and we don't have a detail how many jars there were, But I know the house wasn't large. They lived in rather small areas, and this was a poor family, and probably jars filled the entire house. And then following Elisha's command or instructions, she took that jar of olive oil and began pouring into the jars. And she poured, and she poured, and she poured, and she poured, and oil just kept coming out and coming out, until every jar was filled and she could sell the jars, pay her debts, and could live. Now, the reason that that story came to my mind is because I was sitting there looking at a portion of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. This verse is a verse that I often go to, but I had been led there as I had studied along, and the verse goes like this. Paul is saying, hope does not disappoint us. He uses the same word there that he used in Romans 1.16 when he said the gospel doesn't disappoint us because it's the power of God for salvation. But here he says this belief that something is beyond this belief that God is truly God and He will help me and that He will... You know, all this hope won't disappoint us because, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And I can just see that woman pouring and pouring and pouring. Because the word that Paul uses here is a word that's an intense pouring. It's just a lavish pouring, just pouring until it runs over, until it spills out. Just pouring and pouring his love into our heart through the Holy Spirit. In fact, one way you can translate this word is that it's been turned loose in our hearts. That the love of God has just been so overwhelmingly poured into our hearts that it's going to spill over. Now, let me tell you why I started thinking about that. Because I was reading 1 John, another passage about love. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, a familiar word again, but listen to it one more time, and I think you'll see why I got to the Romans passage. 1 John 4, John is writing to people that he knows very well and loves very much. 
He says, loved ones, we just have to be loving each other because love comes from God. And everyone who is a loving person is a child of God and knows God. The one who is not a loving person simply does not know God. For God is love. This is how God showed us His love. He sent His one and only Son into the world so that through Him we might come to life. So this is what love is all about. It isn't that we decided to love God, but He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to make up for all our failings. Loved ones, if God loves us this much, shouldn't it be showing up in the way that we love other people? No one has ever seen God, but I want to tell you, if we are loving each other, we know that God is alive among us and that His love is maturing within us. According to John, according to Paul, love is not something that we decide to do. Love is not something that originates in us. It's not a decision we make. It's really not even a response we make. But love is something that spills out of us because God is pouring it into us. And He pours it in so much that it just simply sloshes over and gets all over everything. That's where love comes from. Our loving someone else, our love for others, is the only visible evidence we have of God's presence in our lives. The only tangible thing that we have that proves that God is living in us is our love for one another. Now, the way I got to that was by reading first. Corinthians chapter 13. This the love chapter. The reason that Paul was writing this to the Corinthian church is because he was greatly distressed. Because he wasn't seeing much love in that church. Now, it was a dynamic church. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of spiritual gifts. They were speaking in tongues. They were interpreting tongues. They were doing all these things. It was a growing church. It was a church that was adding numbers on a daily basis. It just was exploding in growth. But Paul is disturbed because it doesn't seem to be a loving church. That he wasn't really seeing any evidence of love among these people. And what he wants to tell them is that if love is not showing up in your life, if you are not someone that is being led to reach out and love other people, then you really have yet to meet God. You need to realize that if you have had an encounter with God, God is love and it's going to show up in the way that you love one another. Now, in talking about this, he basically says three things about love. The first thing he says is that love, the ability to love others, is the most important thing you will ever do. 
Anything you do that does not originate in love or express love is worthless. He even talks about the religious stuff. He says, if you speak in tongues, but it doesn't cause you to love one another, it's nothing. If you have enough faith to do what Jesus said, hey, mountain, get up over there, move over here. And the mountain moves. But you don't do it out of love. It doesn't originate in love. It doesn't express love. It is nothing. He says, even if you sell everything you have and give it to Rust Street, Bob says, amen. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. But you don't do it out of love. It's nothing. If you do it out of duty, if you do it out of wanting people to see you giving so much, everything you do, all through your life, not just religiously, but all through your life, every action if you look at it, has to be traced back that I'm doing this because God loves me and I love others. The second thing he does in this passage is he gives us a checklist so that we can recognize the kind of love he's talking about. Now, you all heard this often. We talked about it Wednesday night in our little group that meets on doing word studies. By the way, we're having fun doing those word studies. If you like word studies, come on on Wednesday nights and meet with us. But we were looking at the word love, and, and all of us realized that the Greeks had a lot of different words for love. We kind of are stuck with one. And love means everything from romance and that giddy feeling to sensual, physical love to an intense form of like. You know, I like something so much, I love it. And it's hard for us to understand what is it exactly that Paul is talking about? What is the love of God that is poured into our hearts so lavishly that it just spills over? Well, he gives us a checklist. There it was in verses 4 through 7. He says, here's how you can tell whether or not the love of God is at work in your life. Love makes you patient. Love makes you a kind person. Love makes you someone that's not envious of others. Someone that doesn't brag about yourself. Someone who's not arrogant. And someone who's not rude. To other people. Love makes you quit thinking of yourself and insisting that everything go your way and that everything happen the way you want it to happen. Love is not irritable. Now, my Bible has a footnote on that. It says it's not irritable after the first cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> I think we do get a little bit of, of leeway there. But love is not an irritable person. Love is something that is pleasant to be around. Love is a person who is thinking of someone else. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Let me tell you what I think that means. I think what it means is it doesn't keep track of wrongs. It doesn't keep account of how many things that have been done that I don't like and that bother me. It just has amnesia when it comes to someone saying or doing something that just doesn't set well with you. Rather, it rejoices in truth, and the truth is it rejoices when love is shown. It really keeps track more of the things that are going right 
and more of the good things that others have done and the nice words that others have said. Love puts up with all things. Love doesn't say, I've had it to hear. (laughs) But rather because I love. I can bear all things, put up with all things. I can keep on believing in God and believing in others. Love hopes all things and love simply lasts. Now, as we go through that list, if you say, oh, someone says, that doesn't describe me. I guess I need to work harder at that. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul doesn't say work harder at being a patient person. Paul doesn't say work harder at being a kind person. Paul doesn't say work harder at not keeping up with the things that that people do that you don't like. He doesn't say that. He says, if you're not seeing this kind of love in your life, get closer to God. Because God is pouring that into the people who open themselves up to Him. And that if you spend that time with God and you truly receive His Spirit and you're, you're open to the Spirit of God working within you, He will put that in you. And it will fill you up and just start sloshing over. The final thing he says about love is it lasts forever. One reason it's so important to start getting filled up with the love of God now is it's the one thing you will get in this lifetime that will last for eternity. He says it even outlasts faith and hope. You know, faith is going to come to an end because faith is believing in things we can't see. One day we're going to see them. Faith will be over. Hope is anticipating those things that are coming. One day they're going to be here. Hope will be over. But after all those things are gone, we're going to be loving each other. And the love of God is going to be seen even more perfectly in our lives. I love the example he gives. He says, you know, when I was a kid, I thought like a kid. I saw the world like a kid. I had childish values. I had childish ideas about interrelationships and how we relate and what we do and all this. But you know something? In God, I became an adult. I grew up. And I finally came to realize that what really matters is God's love and God's love flowing through me to others. Now, Paul admits he hasn't done it perfectly yet. He says, I see that, but it's kind of like in a dim mirror, you know. I have to keep looking and reminding myself of that. He said, but one day we're going to see face to face. And one day we are going to learn to love to the full extent that we have been loved. Paul would call upon each of us to ask whether or not we've truly met God. Have we truly experienced Him to the point of opening our hearts and letting Him pour His love into us? And the way we can answer that question is just simply to look around and see, do we share that love with others? Only you can answer that question. Well, maybe you and the people next to you. <laughs> but the invitation is to come and to open your heart once and for all that the love of God may fill you up so that you may leave this place about the work that matters, and that is reaching out and loving others. Let's stand and sing.